every time we ask what research and development is important to wool growers, Flystrike is always towards the top of the list. As a major research area for Australian wool innovation, a lot of work has taken place in this area over a long period of time. And episode 118 of this podcast deals with gains across genomics and possible future vaccines in this area. Well worth a listen if you haven't already. But in this episode, we tackle how wool growers can approach the issue of growing resistance to current control methods. We also talk wild dog control and its success post bushfires. Hello and welcome to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So the regular wool growing benchmarking survey that is undertaken examines on-farm practices across the control of worms, flies and lice and resistance to key chemical controls. The surveys undertaken are showing up some important trends in fly strike prevention. Take it away, Dr Jane Littlejohn, General Manager of Research at AWI. Uh, we do a fly strike update and we invite producers and researchers and a whole heap of interested people to our, our update. Well, we couldn't do that because of COVID, so we've got the researchers to do summaries. Um, and they are um, now all on the website, uh, fly strike update. Um, so yeah, it's they're quite comprehensive. So you need to take um, a glass of wine and 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 sit down with them uh, with some time. But one um, of, of interest to me, which I've read recently, the final report was the benchmarking survey, which we do every about five years, just to track how um, producers are managing uh, their parasites, worms, flies, and lice. And um, we had over about 350 people replied to this survey and it was about um, what happened in 2018. And 37% of those properties re- reported in, um, new breach strikes um, and 14% reported having body strike. But the strike rate within those properties that got struck were, were sort of um, what I've seen before. So it was about 2.7% um, incidence of breach strike or the breach strike rate on a, on a property on average uh, and 2% for body strike. But then I thought, oh, people, uh, pole strike, um, pole strike was 7%. Uh, so I thought, oh, um, people need to keep, keep a, uh, an eye out on their rams. Um, obviously, you know, the, the uptake in pain relief is, is fantastic. It's, it's you know, about 87% are using pain relief for yielding. Um, but only 3.4% used trisulfan, which is the topical spray, with the meloxicam. And the meloxicam is either buccalgesic oral or the medicam injectable. Um, and we think that that's best practice to use both because it covers all pain pathways. So you're providing comprehensive pain care uh, or pain management. And, you know, if you're in a hospital, they will give you multiple drugs to cover all the pain pathways. So, um, yes, that's, it's about best practice. But pleasingly, all the people that did use those two, two drugs were all merino breeders or merino wool breeders. So they, those people know what they need to do to, um, to um, ensure that they've covered all their bases in terms of those ethical considerations. Um, interestingly, 30% said that their, the, the change in management that they adopted most was genetics. Um, it was the most reported change in management for fly strike. And half, half the people used visual stri- traits, 
for breeding fly strike resistance, which is, makes sense. You know, we're constantly saying if they're struck, cull them. You don't want to breed from them that get struck because it's, it's quite heritable. Um, so those that were culling on body strike were 29% and breech strike 20%. And then you'd cull for fleece strike and... Um, but uh, but we know that anyway. We know we, no one wants dicky wool, so um, and wool colour, colour, uh, uh, cull for. So wool colour and fleece strike are risk factors for fly strike. Uh, yellow wool is a risk factor for fly strike, and then breech wrinkle as well. They were culling for just on those visual traits. Um, less so people culling on dag score or urine stain or breech cover. So that, you know, I would have expected they would be a bit higher because they're easily assessed visual traits. Um, and then moving on to the quantitative genetics, which 17% they were using ASCVs for RAM selection and they were focusing on wrinkle and worm egg count. Um, but the, these juicy bits, the, the report, I think the report's on Parabos or elements of it is on Parabos and also certainly on wool.com. Um, but finally, nearly 5% of the respondents suspected resistance to their fly strike prevention chemicals. And that, so that's sort of 5% of 350 people. Um, and that leads me on to another bit of work that we did on chemical resistance to fly strike. Unless I've talked too much about the benchmarking survey and you've got some questions, Maris. <laughs> okay, which leads nicely into the chemical resistance survey. Now, these are samples that came in from around Australia from those who thought they had a problem, so therefore it's a, a selective survey for want of a better term, but still some concerning results. Yeah, so the benchmarking survey said that nearly 5% suspected they had a problem. Well, the, the fly strike resistance survey, which is carried out oh, every, when did we last do it? Uh, 2013 we did it. Um, at DPI does it, New South Wales DPI. So, you know, I suppose those people who are interested in providing samples probably suspect they've got a problem, otherwise you wouldn't necessarily want to provide the sample. So they provided maggots in the post and the DPI grew out these maggots and tested them on chemicals. You know, it's an artificial test on chemicals. And um, there were 55 samples submitted from New South Wales and all of them were resistant to both dicyclinol and thyronidine. So for those, you know, if, if you've got 5% across the country in our survey that were worried about chemical resistance, um, you know, and in New South Wales, all of them are, are resistant to both those chemicals, you'd, you'd be thinking, mm, okay, well, there's a, a, a problem there that's certainly developing. In WA, um, there were 29 samples. 20, sorry, 29% of samples were resistant to both chemicals, 25% from South Australia but resistant, and 82% from Victoria were resistant to both dicyclinol and thyromazine. Um, but in those states, we didn't have a lot of samples. So I think we only ended up getting about over, over 100 samples across the whole survey. So, you know, this is, to me, there is resistance out there. It may only be at a low prevalence or regional-wide prevalence, prevalence, but it's there. And um, it has increased from when we did the last survey or study in 2013. So these are laboratory tests of maggot samples. So um, 
you know, what are we going to do about this? Well, like with worms, you've got to rotate the chemicals. But the trick with um, flies is that some of these chemicals are also used on mice. So when you're planning, oh, well, like what, what chemical did I use one year for flock prevention? You've got to rotate a different type of chemical next year. But you've also got to think, oh, but what did I use for life? So if you're using, you know, um, ivermectin for life treatment, or let's say imidacloprid for life treatment, don't use it for fly treatment or fly prevention um, because you have to ro keep rotating. You can't use the same chemicals. Uh, so there's some messages that we've already... We put these out quite a while ago. Uh, they're on Flybot and I think in Beyond the Bale as well. But producers, you know, we're moving, going to move into spring and you need to have planned what you're going to use, what chemical you're going to use. Um, so, and I suppose what people are going back to, you know, why would people suspect they had resistance? I think it would be because, um, uh, well, what people are reporting, uh, that the length of protection that their chemical provides decreases. It may only decrease by a week. It might decrease by, you know, months. It just depends on the product and the level of resistance you've got. And the, the number of individual flies in your population, local population, that are resistant. So, um, yeah, it's a worry. It's a worry for us all to plan for the future. Don't let it get any worse. We don't want to be you know, losing these chemicals. So rotation is, uh, is the key message there, Jane. Definitely. Um, uh, rotate between groups. And you will need to get some advice either from Flyboss or your your advisor, your ag advisor, because some you know um, like you wouldn't rotate between dicyclinol and thyroxine because they're actually sort of a, a linked chemical group. So um, you, you best to seek professional advice on your rotation plan. And don't forget what did I use for life or. You know, think about eradicating lice. And I know it's a pain and it requires good biosecurity, but, you know, this whole attitude of which we've all had, which is reduce my cost by being strategic, apply the chemical in a, in a strategic preventative manage, um, way. Reduces my... means I can time my... I know when I'm applying it, I, I say for lice, it's off shears, I'll do it anyway, regardless of whether I've got lice or not. Or, you know, I know I need to be, provide um, prevention, fly prevention at this time of year. I watch fly boss and I know that I'm going to get strike from this point in time, so I do it at that time. Maybe in the future we, don't, we can't think like that. Maybe we've got to think, do I really need it? Do I really need to put these chemicals on? So being more tactical rather than I'm going to do it every year at the same time, regardless of whether I know I need it or not. Um, and if I'm also breeding for increased glyphosate resistance or I'm, um, you know, I, I'm uh, looking at, you know, other, other systems like um, uh, re reducing my, my DAG through better worm control, um, can, do I need to have much, much reliance on glyphosate prevention chemical? So it's a bit of a mental challenge for people to uh, analyse what they currently do and whether they can tweak it or not, but I would imagine in a, you know in, in quite a few in a few years we'll all be thinking about have I done enough to avoid resist widespread resistance. 
Okay, let's jump to wild dogs, Jane, because there's been um, significant work undertaken uh, post the summer bushfires, which uh, hopefully is having a big impact. Yeah. Um, well, New South Wales government is having a blitz. Um, they realised the opportunity that, and this has been on the media quite extensively, um, they realised that um, the destruction of all that harbour or habitat for wild dogs made them vulnerable and now's the time to, to kill them. And so there has been an absolute bliss, I think. I, uh, uh, just the baits that AWI has been involved in purchasing or, or, or deploying, they, I counted two reports for about 200,000 baits. Um, so AWI certainly provided some relief money or recovery money, let's say, um, uh, to the, that sort of bushfire strategy or the timing around bushfires. So um, hopefully we'll see that impact in re- reduced um, population, absolutely smashing the population. And interestingly, I've read some more, some recent research that was only analysed recently, but the data was collected a long time ago, that showed that in, in the northern, New, in the New England, um, coal populations are thriving under this increased pressure of baiting. Um, so that's fantastic that, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if participating in a wild dog control plan would um, give you some sort of evidence of, of how you're um, not just protecting native uh, fauna but, um, exp- you know, increasing those populations. You're, you're contributing to the thriving of our, our threatened native species. Jane, as always, thank you very much for joining us on The Yarn. Um, it's terrific to hear what you've been up to across a very wide brief. Yeah, it is. Um, and um, Yeah, but it's only a snapshot. As I said, there's a whole lot of product innovation um, that goes on as well that I'm not familiar with. But, um, yeah, there's a lot more to our off-farm research and our whole research package than just the on-farm stuff or the, the fibre-related stuff. There's a whole lot of product development, which I don't know anything about, Murray, so you might have to ask Julie. Yeah, well, yes, we'll, we'll track her down too. All right, well, for today, Jane, thank you very much again. Yeah, thanks for having you on with us. A pleasure. Thanks, Murray. Dr Jane Littlejohn is the General Manager of Research at Australian Wool Innovation. I hope you enjoyed that research update of sorts. There's plenty more information, an extraordinary amount of information at wool.com in this regard. Also, you can always ring the AWI helpline for publications, 1800 070099. But from me, Marius Cumming, thanks again for your company and look forward to it again soon.